Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Y'all, I just heard that in my spirit because I had some teary moments. He wiped my mind, my tears away. He turned my midnight into day. And all I can say is thank you, Lord. I really want you to know it's just a That's what David said. He encouraged himself in the Lord. You got to encourage yourself. I've been in that type of prayer meeting by myself where you just singing songs you don't know the words to, but it just feel, you just got to go with feel right. You making stuff up. Whatever it takes. And Lord, I just thank you for the lift you've given us today. There's something wonderful about just being in a room where we praise you. And I know different people come to church and they're going through different things. And there's a complaint they give to you and it's a complaint they give to each other. But really, if we really give our challenges and problems and struggles to you, there'll be no reason to complain, but just a reason to lift you up. Lord, I pray as we get into your word, you would be with us. You would help us. Truly, it's the entrance of your word that brings light and life. And I pray that the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ will shine bright in here today. Lord, as always, may the people be blessed by thee and not impressed by me. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be accepted in thy sight. You're my strength and redeemer. Let every glad and happy heart say amen. Come on, give God one more round of applause. Hallelujah. College students know the answers to most all questions because they're smart and they're in college and we have high expectations on them. So I ask you college students, um, in the United States, what's the most popular religious holiday uh, that there is? Huh? Christmas, okay, college students, I want you to know you are wrong. I, I want it to be Christmas as well, but it is not Christmas. The most popular holiday, religious holiday, is Thanksgiving. I didn't know it was a religious holiday, but it's listed as a religious holiday. It's Thanksgiving, it's Trump and Christmas, it's Christmas is coming in number two. I don't think Jesus' birthday should be number two. We're dedicating babies, Jesus' birthday should be number one. And I'm just mad about it, but that's all right. Because Christmas is number one in spending. We spend $135 billion to celebrate Jesus' birthday and nobody even comes close, so we're number one. But what do you think, college students, let's go again, let's give you a second chance. Second chance. Well, you think college students that the number 10 most popular religious holiday is? Somebody said Easter. That would be wrong again. Uh, I want it to be Easter just like you want it to be Easter, but it is not because what trumps the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Halloween. 
Halloween's coming in at 10, and, and Easter is coming in at number 11. Halloween has taken us out. And I think what happens is traditionally when you think about Halloween, you think about um, things that are not necessarily associated with God. And in the original situation with the uh, Celtic religion and the worship of a lot of deities and gods, it didn't have anything to do with God. But I'm so glad there were some people of God back then, a couple of popes who thought what we're going to do to be evangelistic in our culture is we're going to bring some holy holidays to eliminate some of these pagan holidays. And so as they were dedicating the Pantheon on, on May 13th, they switched they created a holiday called All Saints Day to November 1st. And that became so popular to actually honor the saints who had lived a, a praiseworthy life that had gone before us to, to honor them and to reflect on their life and to, and, and to pray and that's what it was all about. And the day before that, October 31st, was considered All Hallows or All Holy Eve. So that's where you get Halloween from just trying to take Easter out, but we're taking it back for Christ right now. In the, in the pagan way, in its or, origin, it was a night where the natural world met the supernatural world and where gods could play tricks on people. And if you wanted to avoid them getting, getting, giving you a trick, you had to give them a treat. You had to appease them. They, they, they dumbed, it, dumbed it down to that, but in reality, it was an oblation. It was some type of sacrifice, whether a thing or a human. And these are the things that really were going on. But I thank God that it was some saints that had the foresight to introduce to us that there was a way to take back culture by redefining culture based on something that God has given that we can celebrate. And what we consider as modern day trick or treat, treating was people going to the doors and giving a scripture and giving a song, you know what I'm saying, and then receiving a treat. It's so amazing that culture and evil things try to take the dominant definition of culture, but then it takes a, a man or a woman of God to step up and say, I actually want to deal with this instead of shrink back from this. And while as we approach what would be considered a religious holiday, I'm, I'm asking you to consider how other people have claimed it back in the day. I want you to consider how other people have lived in a, in a culture and generation that was leaning away from God. How do we lean in? So if we go back to our text in Philippians 4 that we've been preaching on state of mind, we're going to deal with Paul's state of mind and what did he actually do to change the culture, to affect the culture, to challenge the culture? What, what was his disposition as he inserted himself? This is what we're going to explore today. This is what we're going to deal with today. If you can go to Philippians 4 and 9, we're going to take our whole sermon from just this one verse. When I say ready, read, you'll just begin to read with power and diction and clarity. Ready, read. What you heard what you have received, what you have seen in me. The reality is we all have to ask the question, what do we demonstrate or illustrate with our life and our words? Do you demonstrate a life worthy of copying? Do you demonstrate a life that speaks into the 
mission of humanity to go into all the world and to make disciples? Are you in or are you out? And come, can somebody detect that from the way you live your life or do they have to just possibly hope to see? I believe the reason it's important for us to look at the life of Paul and to revisit his resume is because he was somebody that was always having a mission or a mindset or a state of mind to do what was right for Christ even when it was inconvenient. He was called to originally go to Macedonia uh, and, and to get to Philippi. He was called there by God and you know what he found when he got there? There was no believers. Can you go into the world? Can you be called into a place can you be called into a workplace, uh, a team, a school where there are no believers? And can you honor God? Can you show up like he did and see whoever is open? It was Lydia in a small prayer meeting who heard the gospel and they got born again. Can you actually go and be the light? Paul was there being a light. Paul was there being an example. Paul was there and, and, he, and he said, there's things I say, but I want you to also see what I do. So after his new converts, Lydia and the women of that group actually got saved, they saw Paul go out into the community that was monotheistic, that was full of all types of evil, that was full of divination and fortune telling and all types of other wickedness. And they didn't see Paul ignore it. They saw Paul ministering in the midst of it. I think sometimes what happens to believers is that we know that the message is true, but instead of bringing that message into the dark places, we keep that message into the small prayer meetings and the small places that we have. Paul was saying, I need you to bring it out. Paul was out one day ministering the gospel and a, and a little girl started following him. These are the men of the most high God. The Bible says she was full of an evil spirit. She was a fortune teller. And she started telling people, these are the men of the most high God. And the Bible says she did it every day and repeatedly and constantly like she was hexing them. These are the men of the most high God. These are the men of the most high God. These are the men. These are the men. These are the men of the most high God. She just, yeah. Can you imagine how irritating that would be? She's telling the truth, but she's doing it in a way to discredit him. He turns to this woman. He casts the devil out of her. And the Bible says when her handlers found out that they could no longer make money from her fortune teller, they told the magistrate and got them thrown in jail for casting the devil out of a woman with their words. What you can learn about Paul is that he doesn't avoid conflict. What you can learn about Paul is he doesn't avoid dark situations. What you can learn about Paul is he doesn't wait for somebody to walk up to him and say, hey, I'd like to be delivered. Got any deliverance for me? He can see a broken person. He can see a broken situation. And instead of waiting on an invitation, he can invite himself in to bring deliverance. This is what they have heard and seen from him. Now, the problem with this is, is that got him thrown in jail. That got him beaten, and that got him marked. They saw that doing kingdom work has a kingdom consequence. And I can imagine in that church, 
that is inactive. We don't hear stories of people getting saved, delivered, or, or set free from them. You hear them being encouraged to do the right work, to follow the pattern. I can imagine that the original conflict between the women was, are we going to be like Paul? Are we going to go back to doing our small little prayer meeting and not affect culture? It's just almost as if believers' state of mind is, our for no more, you know, saying as long as me and my house serve the Lord, you know, I'm just going to do what's right in my business. I'm not going to bother them. They're not going to bother me. But what if everything you have and everything you are was to be used to advance the kingdom of God in the world and in the earth? It is easy to declare you're going to sit on the sidelines because that's where there's the lowest amount of risk. But what if I'm telling you that God is calling you up out of the sidelines and into the front? I think this is the conflict that that church was in at that particular time. Do we just let the culture celebrate its days of evil, celebrate its days of immorality, or do we step in and redefine culture, re, re, preach the gospel for the first time, and see people break through and deliver? What have you seen in me? What have you heard in me? What have you learned about me? What, what have you embraced and come alongside of? The reality is, I think what happens is sometimes we can be more uh, amenable to receiving information than living it out. And we think that receiving the information is the same as living out the information. They receive the information. So I I wanted to know, have you received the right information? Because if you receive the right information, then it obligates you to do something with it. Have you heard the message? Do you know we're really assigned to preach the gospel? Do you really remember we're salt and light in the world? Do you know that we're going to judge angels? Did you know that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your bodies. Has something happened that caused you to shrink just to your little space where you're safe and no one judges you and you judge no one? You are assigned. When the Bible says don't judge, it's telling you that you can't condemn. It's not telling you you can't discern the difference between right and wrong and tell somebody, you know that's wrong. Because that's gotten ridiculous. Like you can't actually tell somebody they're wrong. No, I'm not judging you because I told you that's not consistent with the will of word or way of God. That's off. But I'm telling you, I'm not condemning you. I'm bringing good news that Jesus wants to bring you up out of it. You see, that's the difference. That's the difference. What are you going to do with the information? And also, what type of information are you putting out? Nothing? It would be sad if it was nothing. It would be troubling if it was nothing. Paul gave them the example, and he said this. He says in 2 Corinthians 3.3, he says, we are, you are our letter from Christ delivered by us. You are our living epistle. In other words, you're supposed to be read by all men. When you show up, you should look like Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Who are the people in your life that you actually look up to? You say, I'm going to follow. I, I see the world becoming a place where the people we decide to follow don't have the right moral life or spiritual life, but we hail them as heroes for certain things that they propagate. But then, true righteous people, we don't bring up. So you hear me talking about righteous people that I've 
that I, you know, it's like old church mothers. Y'all have heard me talk about mother boy, Mama Nisi was just here. I mean, these are the church mothers who sat on the, on the, on the, on the front row. They had been praying. They fast and pray 150 or more days out of, out of the year. They give their life to dedication and, and prayer for the Lord. You come in, they say, come here, baby. And they just lay you right down there and pray, pray for you, kind of spit on you a little bit and then just, you know, but it's good. It's like a holy spit, you know. They pray for you. That matriarchy shaped my life, blessed my life. Those are examples that I could follow. Paul was saying, Paul, what do you put on display? Remember my first message? Are you putting anxiety and worry and fear on display or are you putting, are you putting Christ on display? Are you putting prayer on display? Look, you gotta understand that the person writing this letter to the church and encouraging them not to back up from their assignment is writing from prison. It's writing from a place of, 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 of having a hard time. The next part of that verse says, put it into practice. To put something into practice means the active process of performing a deed and implementing what is done as a regular practice, a routine or a habit. What are your routines? What are your habits? What are you all about? What are you doing over and over and over and over again? It begins to define you. I love how 1 Peter 1 and 5 says, this, this is what a, a righteous habit would look like. Look what the scripture says. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you... It's, you have these qualities as a routine, if you have these qualities as a discipline, if you have these qualities as a practice, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed and they have been washed. What are you practicing? What do you do? I encourage you to get a sheet of paper and a list and write out your schedule and what you spend your time doing. And if Jesus Christ and the things of God are the minority on your page, something is out of order because he must be preeminent in all things. He must be first in all things. And I want to tell you something. The practice doesn't make it easy. The thing that makes Kobe Bryant great, the late Kobe Bryant great, was he, he's an NBA basketball player, for those of you who don't know. The thing that made him great was he got up at four in the morning and he put up a thousand shots. At noon, he went back to the gym and he put up another thousand shots. In the evening before he went to bed, he put up another thousand shots. When he got into the game, the reason he was effective is because he had practiced in private uh, something that rewarded him publicly. What is your private practice that can reward you publicly? If your private practice is sin, you will know this because you'll be inactive. You'll be on the inactive list. You'll be on the injured list. You'll be on the unavailable list. But when you practice the right thing, prayer and reading your word and holy living and benevolence and giving to the poor and doing the ministry work of God, when you have that as your practice privately, then again, publicly, God can begin to use you. Paul said, the things you've heard, learned, and seen in me, put them into practice. I certainly have men of God who have gone before me. Dr. Rice Brooks, uh, the, 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 the bishop of this church, he puts, in the, he puts evangelism into practice. He's not here today because he's out ministering somewhere. 
He puts evangelism into practice. It, it's got to grow from, when I think about, oh, I, I spoke the gospel to somebody this week. I spoke the gospel to somebody last month. And he tries to make it his ambition to speak it to someone every day. Then that's an example that I can learn from. That's an example I can follow. That's somebody that I can, I can reach for. All Saints Day was about honoring the saints that had gone before you, remembering their life, remembering their quality of life, and trying to be imitators of them as they, as they follow Christ. You know, Paul did have it hard. I think 2 Corinthians 11, I want to go through some of the hardships that Paul had because the person that is speaking this for you to practice is in a vulnerable place. He's an authority. Because a lot of times we can't change our mindset to do something for God because we're going through so, so many things in our life that prohibit us, our own financial troubles, our own troubles. They don't allow us to move forward. But look what Paul was going through when he was advancing the kingdom. He said, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Matt. You told me to take them glasses up there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Let's not comment on it, okay? Let's just let it go. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments. He wasn't in prison once. He was always in prison. Countless beatings. He didn't say whoopings. He said beatings. That means it happened with a stick. Often having near-death experiences. Verse 24, five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Can y'all, I mean, you all hear what this person is saying? Now I've been, I've been kind of shipwrecked before in a drift at sea. Anybody else been adrift at sea? Y'all, one time, this is a true story. One time I went out. Pastor Rice, Jody, Debbie, and myself, we was on a prayer retreat. And they would want to pray a long time. And I said, let's have one afternoon where we do something fun. And everybody could do what they wanted. And no one wanted to go in the water. I want you to know I can't swim. But in the ocean, like I can kind of fake swim. But it's all right. Let's just keep going. And so I went to the jet skis. And I said, do you need a license? They say, no. Do you need to know anything? They say, no. All you got to do is sign the waiver and we'll, we'll give you the jet ski. I said, fine. That sounds like a good deal. And I got on the jet ski. It was so much fun. And I thought to myself, Pastor Bryson, I thought, how far out in the ocean can I go to where I can't look back and see land? And then I'll turn around. And I'm going, I'm going. I've been on this thing for about 25 minutes. It just, I'm, I, I'm sure is about to leave. And something bad happened. The jet ski stalls out. I have no cell phone. And I want to be vulnerable with you in this moment. I start crying. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. 
I believe it was the Holy Ghost because I was not at peace or full of anxiety. My state of mind was gone. I feel like the Holy Ghost said, remember what they told you in the training. That if it stalls out, you have to get into the water, go underneath and pull the seaweed out of the thing. <laughs> oh, gee, I can't do it. <laughs> so instead of, because fear will paralyze you. So I just sat there 20, 25 minutes saying, I'm not getting that water. Jaws is in the water. <laughs> Leviathan is in the water. Piranha, I know that they fresh water, but these be the saltwater piranha that come bite you. <laughs> so finally, I mean, because it's either, I've had prayers like, Lord, if this is it, tell my wife I love her, you know. Can you, can you make sure, I've, I've done all that stuff. Finally, I realized I'm gonna have to get in the water. <laughs> I cried the whole time, by the way. <laughs> I, get, oh, I get it up, but then I can't get back on the boat. I'm shivering. This is like a two-hour ordeal. It's too big. I was tipping it over. Finally, I, I got on the back because you got to get on it. But if you're ever in this situation, the issue is you have to go on to the back to pull yourself up. I get on the boat and I realized that's what Paul was going through. He was shipwrecked three times a night and a day in the sea. That was two hours, but it was bad. All of the anxiety and all of the fear and all of the emotion I had, all the paralyzing thoughts made me give up on life, not keep trying to find a way to live life. You can go, Paul been beaten, he's been accused, he's been in prison, and yet he's got this stick to this joy, this continuation in the gospel that won't be stopped. He's on mission at a level that's just overwhelming. And I think it's a, a stark difference between him and Job. I feel like Job went through his trials and all of his losses, but the scripture said he complained. Remember, it was God. he didn't say, God's been good to me. He was saying, God, you ain't been that good, but I don't want to die. So, you know, I'm boiled up, you know. Just, yeah, this is wrong. He complained. Where Paul was praising in prison. Paul was praying in bad times. They were beating Paul, and he's like, uh, Stephen, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Where, who is this guy? He said, whatever you have seen in me, heard in me. Now, when I was growing up, they would say, do as I say, not as I, because my grandmama was a smoker. And if you know anything about when you're growing up with people who smoke, every now and then, back in the day, for y'all, when you had the electric eye and you didn't have a cigarette lighter, you would have to go to the electric stove, which took a moment to heat up. And to get that cigarette going, you had to take a couple puffs. <laughs> Trying to get that flame going. Grandma said, why the cigarette half gone? When we are, I lighten it up. She say, I don't want you to smoke because I want you to do what I'm saying, not what I'm doing. Is your life full of saying what is right, but doing what is wrong? Agreeing with God with your mouth, 
but your heart and your activities are far from him. Making an excuse why holiness is an option instead of the standard. Paul is saying, you can follow me because I'm following Christ. You can follow me because when I'm down, when I'm out, when I'm beaten, I don't give up on my mission. I don't give up on my assignment. I don't give up on my calling. I do not let culture, the cultural man, define me, and I'll stand for Christ even if I'm standing alone. He's standing with the people he just got converted are fighting. He's standing when he's been imprisoned falsely and beaten. He's standing. So the thing is, if you've gotten the right information, the next question is, has it been implemented in your life? Is it a practice? What are you practicing? You practice worry or praying? You practice sin or holiness? One time, Pastor Will, our worship pastor, he was playing, playing good, and I said, man, you can just get up there at any moment and just, like, do stuff, man. You're, you're amazing. He said, no, I practice. I said, when you practice? He said, I got to give it night. I got to, then I got to review. I said, you, you practice. He said, I go over there. Yeah, I practice it all. I said, he said, without the team, and then once I practice by myself, then I practice with the team, then I go practice again. And I said, wow, that's a lot. To find out whether or not you've got the right information and you've got the right thing implemented, what's manifesting in your life? What type of manifestations have you had? Have you had the manifestation of conflict, anxiety, fear, and pain and confusion? Or have you had a manifestation of peace? Which one is dominating your life? And the God of peace will be with you. My whole life, I grew up in fear. My whole life, I had anxiety. Especially during this time of year, my fear was heightened. So while this might be a fun, cute holiday in this part of, of, of the city, as a Detroit person, if you just look up, you know, something called Devil's Night or, or the worst arsons in the world, they happened in Detroit, Michigan. Gang activity, if you were on, on Halloween, if you drive and you flash your lights because somebody's lights are out there, turn around and they, they'll shoot you. I mean, it was, it was just stressful. People egged you. People robbed you. You know, I, you know I, I, my mama let me go trick-or-treating. She made, she, she, we, she, you know, she wasn't going to buy no, like I told you, she wasn't going to buy the store-bought mask and costume. That was too much money. Mama, I, I'm grown now. That was $10. Anyway, she watching. I threw that out to her. Uh, she would cut a sheet, some hole, put some holes in it. So y'all grew up privileged. See, I mean, it must be because you don't know about that. Did you? You cut the hole out, and you get some ketchup, and you put it on there for blood. <laughs> that was your costume. But we went out, we'd go out trick-or-treating, and the people would rob you for your candy. Literally, they take it. Grown people, pull up in cars, take your candy. You can be traumatized, is my point, by the way society is. You can be um, off-put. But what are you going to do about it? 
Are you going to actually embrace the peace of God that's, that, that is maintained by doing what you have learned, received, heard, and seen, and put it into practice? Or are you not going to have the peace? God is the all-knowing one, the all-sufficient one, the one with limitless power, and he has peace. The Bible says, he, he, I'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. God has peace to give you in the midst of your storm. He said, cast your cares upon me for I care for you. This is not the time, Philippian church, to shrink back to culture. This is not the time, Bethel World Outreach Church, to shrink back in culture. This is not the time to have no voice in your generation in your workplace. This is not the time for you to just live on your campus and no one knows that you have the light of the world living on the inside of you. This is no time to just drive past your neighbors day after day and week after week and they don't know how much you love Jesus and how much he, he loves them. This is not the time to be at the restaurant or the convenience store and treat the people that are serving you as people who don't exist and don't need the love of God and the courtesy of God. This is the time to be the light of the world. This is the time to let the peace of God dwell in you so you can give that peace to other people. This is the time to look at the storm and look at the mountain and look at the calamity and say, go ahead and get out of my way. This is the time that when you find yourself bound up, trapped and, and enclosed and caved in like Paul, you can pray and you can rejoice and you can still think on those things which are lovely, just, fair, praiseworthy and good report instead of having a complaining spirit you got a spirit that will bless Paul is trying to finally encourage these people don't get divided from each other and divided from your mission your assignment remains the same church stand to your feet church please hear me ministry team you can come down church please hear me no one is going to encourage you to do the right things. When you leave here, there's not going to be an overwhelming uh, announcement on CNN or Fox News or a regular news station. Do what Jesus is calling you to do to see your generation. saying. I'm not willing to let our city, Music City, be just defined by what the world thinks. It got that name from the, from the Jubilee centers at, Singers at Fist for gospel music. The Ryman was a place of, of spiritual revival. Do you just want in the city you live in for darkness to prevail? Do you just want to watch it on TV and say darkness is prevailing? Watch it in your neighborhood, watch it at work, watch it in school. You want to just see darkness prevail? Or do you want to say in your generation Lord, I'm willing. There's a Lydia that needs me. There's a jailer in his family that needs me. There's a girl possessed with a demonic spirit that needs me. There are people who are broken who need me to step up and be who I was called to be. I'm begging you, church. Don't go to sleep, but wake up. I know that your own life seems rotten, but Paul demonstrates what you do with a rotten life. You live for Christ. You don't say, how, how terrible is it is that I'm in prison? You say, who can I reach while I'm in that prison? I beg you, church, to go and be a disciple maker. This last scripture says, and I will be with you. The other place is, he says he'll be with us, is in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He said, go into all the world, teaching them to observe and to do all that's written and make disciples. And lo, I'm with you always. 
He's with us in mission. He's with us in purpose. Don't let darkness define this generation. If you're in an environment where darkness prevails, shine your light. Speak your gospel. The Bible says if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to those who are lost. No one lights a candle and then hides it under a bed. We cannot hide anymore. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. When I, I'm about to dismiss you. If Christ is not the light of your life at the end of this prayer, I just want you to come down and accept Christ. If you don't have the peace of God, which comes in the form of salvation, deliverance, healing, breakthrough, release from demonic oppression, I want you to come down. If you need somebody to stand with you for anything, especially healing in your body, I want you to come down. You are not alone. How do you win? What was Paul trying to tell these women who weren't together? By being encouraged to stay together as a family. Well, you say, I don't know what to do next. Just bring somebody to the Harvest Fest to, to shine your light. Maybe that's why it's there. Do, do something different. Maybe just invite somebody somewhere when you go back to work or school. Just say, can I pray for you? You were on my heart. Anything to be the light. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that you would continue to help us and lead us and to guide us into the truth we need to know. This world is difficult to navigate, Jesus. And when you're beaten, you can't think straight. When you're in prison, you can't think straight. When you're accused, you can't think straight. Will you give us the right state of mind? Will you give us to think so clear that the mission of you, that you've given each person is realized. Save my neighbor this week. Save the lost around me this week. Give us an open door to the gospel this week. Let us bring people back to this place to hear a clear gospel presentation and say yes this week. Let us overcome fear this week. Anxiety of, of being judged or becoming, being called something that you don't want to be called, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Let our life be more meaningful than just solving our own problems. Let us solve the problems of others. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Give God praise and glory. Give him praise and glory.